Good morning, Legacy Church. My name is Randy Little. I'm one of the pastoral interns here at Legacy. And I just want to say that I love you, miss you. If you're watching this online, you're probably still uncomfortable with a large group setting. And we've thought about that. And so we have a description and a link below that you can fill out an information, kind of like a connect card to get connected. And that can help you get connected with some smaller groups um, or um, other resources. So check that out, fill that out. We would love to see you, love to get connected with you. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 16 today. And uh, I'm excited about it, and let's, uh, let's get started. And so before I read the passage, I want to just say that um, anybody who knows me, they might know that I've always loved the American cowboy, the old Western American cowboy. You know, I love people that are tough and rugged, hardworking. You know, maybe uh, they take some uh, unnecessary risks, right? They're uh, thrill seekers. But there's also a dark side of cowboys, right? They're often alone, frustrated, and deeply chasing their own desires. And, and it leads them into all kinds of different uh, trouble, really. And so there's a song by the Eagles called Desperado. And uh, it's about a lonely cowboy who refuses to be loved. And I looked up Desperado. I was like, what is a Desperado? And it's somebody who is desperate or a reckless person. And the cowboy in the song, he's desperate to be accomplished. He's, a, he's desperate to be loved, to get the girl. Um, he's desperate for more in life. And all that, he's alone and growing old alone. And I'm often a lonely desperado. I was just thinking, I love this song. And I also look at my own life and I see that I am such a, kind of, I can be a loner. And my desires can rule me. And I'm desperate to get what I want. And so shamefully, not too long ago, you know, I, uh, I've just, I just act like a desperado. And one of them was on my dad's farm. So I, like I, like I said, I, I love to be a cowboy. I've always dreamed of it. And, and I wanted a bunch of cows. And that was my dream. And so I grew up on 60 acres. And, and my dad had this farm. And, uh, and so I had some horses. And I wanted a bunch of cows. So I wanted to build a cattle corral, which is just a place to put all these cows together. And uh, you can separate them. You can load them on trucks, unload them off of trucks. And uh, you can just work them around. And so, but my dad, his dream was not really for a, a huge cattle farm or a beautiful cattle farm. He had some elk. And so uh, these elk, you know, it takes a fence that's about, you know, eight to ten foot tall. Um, and uh, his dream was to fence the whole place in for these elk. And that was not my dream. Okay. So uh, basically what ended up happening is I came to my dad one day and said, Dad, um, I want to build a corral. For, for our cows, because we had a few of them. He says, well, that's a, that's a good idea, but let's build it eight to 10 feet tall so that he can put his elk in there. I didn't want to hear that. I didn't, want, I didn't want the elk to be any part of my dream of a cattle farm. And so uh, I, thought it was an, I thought it was an injustice that my dad didn't want to help me accomplish my dreams. And so what I do, I said, you know what? I'm going to show my dad a thing or two about cattle farms. I'm going to show him a thing or two about farming and livestock and, and I'm going to build a nice corral by myself. But it's funny, I didn't have any money to build it. And so I needed my dad's farm. I needed my, or his money. And so really I was a socialist, if you really look at it. And so it's a, I needed his stuff to accomplish my dreams. And uh, so that's what I did. I started. I found a friend that had these huge railroad ties. They were big. And I'm a big boy, but they, uh, these were heavy for me to lift. And so I went out there and all alone, 
I went my way and I was trying to meet my desires of building this nice corral for these cattle. I was self-loathing out there and I was a lonely desperado. Man, I worked all day in the hot sun by myself, lifting these heavy beams that were so heavy I could just lift one side. I had to lift them five feet in the air to put them on the post and, and nail them with these huge stakes to put them up there. And it was hot. I was alone. I was frustrated. I, I completed one side. I ran out of money, ran out of materials, got discouraged, and quit. And the whole time, frustrated at my dad that he's not helping me accomplish my dreams. And you know what? It's still there every time I pull in the driveway. That half-finished corral is still there, and it reminds me every time I come home. And so I did this because of my pride. I wasn't getting my way. And we can all be lonely, desperate desperados, desperately pursuing our desires. And that's probably why this song made it to the Rolling Stones' top 500 songs of all time. It's very popular. If you don't know it, go look it up. I think you'll enjoy the listen. And so but we as mankind, we all love our pride. We love to think highly of ourselves. We love to think that we're unique. And we love to think our desires are important. We love to be accomplished. We love the thought of more. And if our desires don't line up with other people's desires, we say, you know what, it's probably better off that I just go alone and just go on, go on my own. And so we often think that really one is better than two, right? It's better to be alone sometimes. And, uh, and so um, there's two reasons for this, I think. Or there's probably a lot more, but at least two. One is envy of my neighbor. And so Ecclesiastes 4.4, it says, Then I saw that all toil and skill and work came from a man's envy of his neighbor. And so if you picture all people are kind of envious of each other, we want what each other have, uh, that, that leads to you know, comparing ourselves to other people. And so we don't ask for the help of somebody that I'm trying to compete with and compare, compare myself with. And so it kind of drives us toward isolation and working hard by ourselves. And two is that we don't have to submit to others when we're by ourselves. We think it's a freedom to have it my way, right? We can do what we want. I don't have to consult anybody for approval. I don't have to worry about what others think or feel. I can make decisions. I can follow after my desires. I can run after whatever I think is right in my own eyes. But this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. It brings us to our passage. I'll read the whole thing. It says, he says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne. Though in his own kingdom he had been born poor, I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. And so before we unpack this passage, I want to go back and unpack the idea of toil and work. And so I think it's important for us. So I want to go back to 
Genesis 1, 127 and 28. And so it says that, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so this idea that God created man to act like him. Okay? And then 128 says, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so the main point is that he gave us work to do under the sun. But it's also work together in unity. It says God blessed them. God said to them. At the time you had Adam, he was the head, Eve was the helper. Both co-rulers taking dominion over creation, working together. But because of the pride of Eve, the passivity of Adam, and the disobedience of both of them, God cursed the world. And now with the curse of the fall, we have death. And God said to the man that you shall die if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did it, and they died. And they were also cast out of God's garden. Um, they are now separated from the holy God who gave them purpose and meaning. And therefore, there's, introduced a, there's great vanity and toil now. And not only this, but their toil has changed. It's now a picture of hard work, pain and sweat, and then you die. Genesis 3.17 goes on to say, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so our culture is really drifting from the reality of a cursed world. Some genuinely believe that we can have a life with no thorns and thistles. We believe we can rid our life of the pain and toil. Then sweat is no longer needed to eat our bread. Culture, we get surprised when hardship occurs, as if creation is not cursed. But it is cursed. And it's not the idea of work that's cursed, but creation we work in and on is cursed. And I'm beginning to see this play out in my own life. And so I have my own business, and I go to work um, you know, every week, and I have clients that I work for, and I provide a service for. And I, I show up, and I make their cars look really good, and it helps them sell them. And they, in return, they pay me for my services. And each Monday, I start at $0 for the week, and I have to make a certain amount to cover my bills. And so if I don't work, my bills stack up, right? I lose my clients. They find somebody else, somebody that's more dependable. And then when I lose my clients, I kind of lose the opportunity to go work. I have nobody to go work for. And so I have another choice. I have to go to work. But it's only a matter of time. Let's say 20 years before my back hurts so bad that it's such a pain to work. And 30 years where I can't see really the scratches on the cars anymore. And 40 years until I can't stand out in the hot sun all day. Because my body is going to wear out. It's going to break down. I'm not going to be able to do the job that I'm doing currently one day. And so I have to plan for a day where I won't be able to work to provide for my family. i got to think about all this, and this is all because of the curse. It's a tough grind, and after the fall of mankind, or it's a tough grind, and then I'm going to die. And everyone's life is marching in hard toil 
toward their ultimate defeat by death. And failure and toil is just to bring death upon you sooner than later. And it's because of the curse of the fall that we especially need a friend. And so in the wisdom of the writer of Ecclesiastes, he sees that there's a better case scenario for all these people that are toiling. And it's that two are better than one. And so there's six reasons he gives. And so we're going to pack them. One is that they have a good return for their toil, that they can do more together. Okay, they can rule and subdue creation better together. They can accomplish more. And so I think of uh, the automobile and, and uh, really just the modern world. Like There's so many incredible things that have been accomplished by teamwork. So automobiles to spaceships to all kinds of things. But the automobile particularly fascinates me. I love it. And I looked up some uh, you know, Google facts about automobiles and there's roughly 30,000 parts in an automobile. 30,000 parts. That's a ton. From screws to brackets to pistons, all kinds of things. And so uh, at my old job, where I was a quality engineer, I was, uh, I was just thinking about one of the parts that we made. And we didn't even finish this part out. But it took 11 people at our factory to produce one part that was not even a finished part to go on a vehicle. And uh, it took 11 people, not counting engineers, accountants, managers, and supervisors. And so I was just thinking, like, if you picture how many people are involved in the automobile industry, how many people are on the team of making automobiles, it is an incredibly large number. And all of us together, all the automobile workers together, create a vehicle that we drove in either to church or, or we drive around to go wherever we please. And it's a, it took incredible teamwork to get that car in your driveway. Incredible teamwork. And my dad always said growing up, he said, many hands make light work. And the writer of Ecclesiastes would agree, you have a better return for your toil. You can accomplish more. And two, not only can you accomplish more, but you can also lift one another up. See, work is truly full of weariness. Ecclesiastes 1.8 says, all things are full of weariness. And we all know weariness. We've all experienced it. And so... Uh, you know, I think of my job. You know, I get weary doing my job. I have to get in a van every day and I drive to these car lots. And, and there's days where I just do not want to go. There's seasons where I just do not want to go to work. I'm just tired. But I think about my wife. I think about my baby girl. And I say, I've got to go. I've got no choice. But I'm so tired I don't want to. I'm weary. And so I need encouragement. And there's a lot of sources of encouragement. My wife encourages me to go to work. But also, I've got friends that I work with. And so I've got a good friend, Chaz. He does something very similar to me. And, um, you know, I just picture Chaz going out to work. And it encourages me to just show up and go. And I never regret showing up to work when I didn't want to. I never regret it. So having friends just encourages us. And my wife also, when she was, when our daughter was first born not too long ago, we made the decision that we wanted to breastfeed. Our girl. We thought it was the the best for, the healthiest for, and and I understand that not everybody can, and uh, but we wanted to, but we were having so much trouble. Like Hillary was so frustrated and and so worried and so anxious about uh, is is our daughter getting enough food? Is she growing? Is is this going right? And there was so much just confusion and heartache in it all, and she just needed encouragement to keep going. She needed encouragement to know that, hey, our daughter is gaining weight. 
And we don't know how much she's getting, but she's getting enough to gain weight. And she's growing. And, and through our pediatrician helping us and, and encouragement from me and other people, you know, she continued, continued, continued. And now our baby is a chunkster, right? She's a, uh, she's, she's, she's a healthy baby girl right now. And we're super excited. But it was hard, and it was full of weariness. Um, but on this side, we're so glad we persevered. And so that leads us to our third uh, um, point, is that woe to him who has no one to lift him up. You know, and backing up to my last point too, I really think that this is such a, a note that, man, I've really begun to hurt for single moms. I really have who are single and alone and don't have someone to lift them up and encourage them. And anybody really who's alone and isolated and doesn't have people to lift us up out of our distress, out of our depression. And I just think of depression and all the, the, the havoc that depression wrecks or wreaks. Is, uh, so in extreme depression, we see people, they, they, they get down. They get so down that they might choose to take their own life, right? They might choose to to be bitter and frustrated and down, take the life of somebody else. Um, you see postpartum depression where mothers want to hurt their children that they love. And so it's a, it's an incredible, depression is incredibly horrible. And what we need is we need somebody in those moments to help us, to help us pick us up. And not even in ex extreme cases, but just in kind of maybe milder cases of depression, you just lose perspective, lose vision. You make choices, and you regret them, and you live in the aftermath of them. Um, and so in those instances, it's always great to have somebody to lift us up. And so some of us have no one to, uh, some, of, some of us have no one to lift us up. And conversely, we're not lifting up anyone else. When you live in isolation, as appealing as it may be, life is going to be a cursed grind, full of weariness. And it truly is a beautiful picture for somebody to have a friend to lift you up and to be a friend lifting other people up. And so some of us are selfish and we're refusing to help others and lift them up by our own isolation. Four is two people keep warm. And so I was like, well, how cold does it get in Israel? I always see pictures of it kind of sunny outside and deserts. And, but in, 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 in Israel, it's pretty mild. You know, in the wintertime, it gets about 40 and 50 degrees. But I experienced this firsthand the other day. That's cold. And so we were camping in the great outdoors. And when we went to bed, our thermostat wasn't working just right. And so it kept resetting to 66 degrees. It was really cold. I would set it up to 70, 75. It would drop down to 66. And so what I do? I found myself coming over to steal a little body heat off of my wife. Now, I said we were camping. We were actually glamping. And uh, that is a great way to see the outdoors and experience the outdoors. And so uh, this is the idea that two people, we can share, you could share body heat off each other. Right? You can keep each other warm. You're better together. And then in the fifth point, he talks about one person might overcome another, but two people can withstand him. And I've also experienced this, and it was an incredible experience. One time, me and uh, myself and uh, my friends, Ben Dewey and, and Daryl, and Hillary was with us that night. We were hanging out, and then we got word that, hey, there's a lot of students coming to kidnap you, take you away. And we said, what? You know, and so we got up on the roof of this house, and we thought, hey, we had spoiled their plans. 
And I looked over in the darkness. Okay, they didn't know we were on the roof of this house. But in the darkness, I looked over and I saw a mob of about 30 young men who had one ambition, one goal, which was to tie us up, kidnap us, and take us away. And so, uh, and it was, it, was, it was scary. I mean, the only way it could be worse is if they had pitchforks and uh, torches. I mean, it was, uh, it was scary. And so they came, you know, they were so disappointed that they couldn't get us. We were up on the roof. We weren't going to let them up on the roof. And, uh, but I don't know why, but we decided to come down. We decided to trust one of them. Um, we thought we were going to make plans to go kidnap somebody else. And so this guy that we trusted, he opened the door to our house. He unlocked the door and he unleashed all these people on us. And it was so violent that Hillary's first reaction was to pick up an apple and beam it at our, one of the big defensive linemen that played for Tennessee Tech. And uh, I mean, hit him right in the head. Like that was her reaction. And Ben and Daryl, they took a shoe rack and they just ran and charged people and, and whacking people. And, and uh, I myself, I came down from that roof and, and I'm just fighting and squirming and pushing and shoving. And, but you know what? They got us all. So Hillary they didn't get Hillary. She walked away just fine. But, uh, but myself and Ben and Daryl, they tied us up against our will, threw us in a car, took us out in the woods and tied us to a tree. We could not withstand them. No way. No way. And so it's the idea that there's strength in numbers. And six, a three-cord rope is not easily broken. And again, it's just this idea that, that you put these strands together and it's stronger. Okay, the point is that we're better together. But there's some sacrifices required to be in a community. That you need at least common values, desires, and goals. And people that share common values, desires, and goals, these are allies. You need some way to be able to continually lay down your competing desires, values, or goals for the groups. Values, desires, and goals. And so the group has to have an enticing values, enticing desires and goals. This can be a business that makes widgets, right? Your desire as an employee might be to value and desire the production of widgets so that you have a job. In the United States of America, you know, we have the Bill of Rights that unites us together and says, we believe this, we desire this. And two is you need to be able to listen to one another. You have to be able to have a conversation so you can understand the, the values and desires and goals that we have and figure out where you stand. And so some groups, they truly are whack, right? We don't just join groups for the sake of unity. Unity for the sake of unity will never create unity. Only unity around common goals, values, and desires creates unity. At any point when you stop listening and you go on and that leads you to maybe a difference in core values, and if your desires become competing desires and your goals are no longer shared, your unity fails, and the people with competing desires, values, and goals, they're adversaries. And that leads us to our next passage. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people of whom he led, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is a vanity and a striving after wind. And so the main idea is that there's a king, an old and foolish king. He no longer takes advice. 
he was an ally or he had or he had some allies right he stopped listening and those allies they became adversaries or he created some adversaries and there was a youth who rose up he became an ally and uh, he led the people yet those who come after him they're not going to rejoice in him just like they didn't rejoice in the king that he overthrew so there's a temptation toward isolation if we're being honest we can still know that two are better than one and still not care. We still want what we want. We still run after our prideful desires. We have a big problem. Our desires are so strong that they defy logic. Paul Tripp says this about desires. Desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when a desire becomes a ruling thing. And we know this. This is when the desire for a cattle farm leads to the disdain of a dad, of a parent. We all have this problem. And if we're honest, we can look and see that chasing our desires has often led us to a life of misery, filled with frustrations, harm, and brokenness. But our good God has a remedy. And the best unity, or the, the remedy is, is not just a friend, but being redeemed into a family. And so the best unity is found in the redemption of God's creation through Jesus the Messiah. God had cursed or he created and cursed the world because of man's rebellion but also in love stepped into our weary toil stepped into our world and he delivered us from the vanity of our toil and our ultimate defeat by death jesus fully god fully man walked through the same weary life yet he did not rebel against his father's design he obeyed perfectly he always sought his father's glory he never missed the mark as an image bearer. He was sinless. The perfect man when all others have failed through deceitful desires that have led to our ruin. And he took his perfect life and he was sacrificed on the cross as a substitute for God's children. A substitute for this family. And this family is everyone who looks to Christ as their righteousness. And everyone who looks to him as their hope and his finished work for salvation and death. And all this was accomplished by our triune God, that God the Father sent and commissioned the Son for the salvation of His people. God the Son submitted to God the Father and accomplished His salvation. And God the Holy Spirit applied the salvation to all of God's children by illuminating the work of Christ in their hearts and minds and uniting with our spirit, sealing us for the day of redemption, which has become our hope. And so now the best kind of community can be formed. A family of people that God has called together and put in a family together. We now have one overarching purpose and mission and goal. And that's the glory of God. To act as God's image bearers and proclaim the redemption that God has already realized and will realize in our death. We have a person of infinite value that surpasses everything that we value on earth. And therefore it unites us. We're now free to put down our desperado pride and we see the vanity in our desires and we're free to not seek our own glory and fame. We're free to look to our God who is so good to us and it gives us great joy that He is made much of. We're free to experience His love. We're free to be understood by God and accepted in Christ. And we're free to trade our desires for the desires of Him who saved us by His life and by His death. So on that mission, we have a family that allows us to 
accomplish more together. And globally, we can partner together for the success of our common goal, God's glory across this whole planet. And there's also a term called cross-pollination. And this term, I think, is very important, especially for just local missions. It's the idea that multiple people sharing their faith with one person is better than one person sharing their faith with one person. It's because when, when somebody hears multiple stories of redemption, of how God has affected their life, changed their life by the gospel, it allows them to see how unique the gospel is applied to different people and how God has healed us of brokenness and it gives us hope. And so many people sharing the gospel with one person is better than one person sharing the gospel with one person. We're better together as a family. We also have a family that can encourage us and lift us up. To see the Lord and the hope that we have in the person of Christ. You know, Sarah Emmons, I'll uh, attribute this to her, but one time we, I used to be in her comm group and she said something along these lines that God has given us the gift of community to encourage and help one another persevere in our faith. And just how she said it just struck me because I'm, I've, I've just loved being a desperado so much that uh, it just struck a chord with me. And we're constantly struggling, struggling with our sinful pride. We're constantly running after our desires to our own detriment. And we're also constantly needing encouragement to look and see how great and glorious our God is. And God uses His people in part to encourage us toward knowing Him more. And so we have a family that can help lift us up and encourage us in Christ. And also, uh, we value Christ, and that promotes this submission, this submission that's so hard, that's required for unity, that we can look and we can see that, that Jesus had submitted to the Father. He submitted, and because of His submission, He accomplished our salvation. And so submission is actually now a, a beautiful thing. It's also, submission is a reminder that Christ submitted. And, and it just makes it so that we can submit and we can find joy in submission to one another. To laying down our desires for the sake of better desires. We now have a real and lasting hope, which can warm and comfort our hearts during a cold, dark night of the soul. That sometimes it's dark and cold, spiritually. And our hope is a lasting hope, a firm hope, a continual hope. And we will not be disappointed by God. God will not disappoint. He will be true to His promises. And that hope can warm our hearts on cold, dark nights of the soul. And so we're a family. We're better together. And we're going to be together for an eternity. One day there will not be a cursed world that we toil in. I believe it will still be working. But we won't be just vain toiling anymore. There won't be any more pain in our work. We won't be eating our bread by the sweat of our brow. There won't be more thorns and thistles. But it'll be a good world, a world where God is present, and we are together as a family. And so also I wanted to, I want to end this and, and say, what if Randy, what if you say, hey, I really don't have this desire for Christ, this goal for the fame and glory of Christ. I don't value Christ. And I would say that we all get like that, but especially for believers, we, we become like that. We have, to, we have to cast our eyes again on Christ and look to Him afresh and see the salvation He's accomplished for us. And for unbelievers, you have to cast your eyes on Christ. 
You have to look at him, what he's accomplished for you. If you say you don't value him, it's because you really probably don't understand who Jesus is and the work of, of God's redemption that he's accomplished for us. And so I'd encourage everybody to put your eyes onto Christ and don't settle and repent from looking on lesser things. So I want to end us with Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people, a family for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Hey, thank you so much. Love you all and can't wait to see you soon.